words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Sorry, I have to sit through this again. So I have two questions for us today on this Episcopal School Sunday, for us gathered here and for us at home. Why in the world would anyone want to start a school? And secondly, what's love got to do with it? So the first question, why would anyone want to start a school? It's an enterprise rife with challenge. Even now, some 68 years later, it's an enterprise rife with challenges. Wouldn't you agree, Mr. Lovejoy? Charles Eliot, who became the president of Harvard University in 1869 at the tender tender age of 39 years old, and who served for 40 years as president, and who transformed the provincial college into a world-leading research university, on being congratulated for its success, said, I scarcely deserve credit. It is simply that the freshmen bring so much and the seniors take away so little. (laughs) Have you ever seen the bumper sticker that says, if you think education is expensive, you should try ignorance? But why would a church want to begin a school? Why start a school which strives to embody an Episcopal identity? Well, let me give you a little bit of background. Some of you know this better than I do, dates and things. And I want to give a shout-out to Ann Atkins uh, as as our faithful archivist and historian here at St. Francis. In In the days when the city of Houston ended at Post Oak Boulevard, some people decided to move way out to Piney Point. They began to meet together for worship and fellowship. And in 1950, they were granted mission status. Two years later, they received parish status and became a fully-fledged church in the Episcopal Diocese of Texas. And if that wasn't enough for these enterprising people, in the fall of that very same year, they embarked on an adventure of establishing a school, begun as a program of early childhood education, and now we are one year away from welcoming our seniors, our 12th graders, into our school. Very exciting. There is always the danger of offering a good education in order to give students a competitive edge so they can perform better than their peers, master for their own achievement and advancement. An Episcopal education must be more than a training in good manners and fine taste. It labors, and it labors to impart more than periodic tables and grammar rules and history dates as important as those things are. And I suggest it is even more important than teaching about right and wrong, the importance and place of virtues and character. It is something more. I think at St. Francis we seek to replace a sense of entitlement with a sense of wonder and gratitude. A Christian education is often perceived to be a restriction that holds us back, that closes the mind to the way the world really is. Do you know what the most popular TED Talk is? Do you know TED Talks? The most popular one by far over the years is Do Schools Kill Creativity? Well, I don't think ours does, 
But it's interesting that that became the most popular TED Talk. At St. Francis, I like to think that our Episcopal identity is rather a deepening and a broadening of our mind and our heart and our soul that pushes us to an engagement with the world. It is to confront the problems of the world in the assurance that the God who made the world is there to help us and wants to help us. An invitation to be insatiably curious about this world and the incentive to take care of it. It was Albert Einstein who said, it is nothing short of a miracle that modern methods of instruction have not entirely strangled the holy curiosity of inquiry. And he went on to say, I am neither especially clever nor especially gifted. I am only very, very curious. Education of our young people at St. Francis needs to be a fire that is kindled and not simply a, a receptacle that is filled. It needs to come from the head to the heart. Somebody, some people refer to that as the longest 18 inches in the world to take what we know and develop a passion to use it to God's glory and the betterment of the world. An Episcopal identity of school is not just adding onto our curriculum a class in religious instruction, but a persistent prying open of the mind and the hearts to see the world really as it is, the seen and the unseen, to wonder at God's creation and to embrace the challenge. And so to place worship, the place of worship becomes central to our endeavor. Chapel becomes the heart and soul of an Episcopal school. As William Temple has said, worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of the will to his purpose. And all of this is gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. The lovely quote of William Temple. It is, I consider it such a great privilege to be chaplain at St. Francis and to be involved with the kids who come through our door. I've been here long enough that I know many of the names on these paver stones that are out here. And it's always a delight to be asked to perform weddings for alumni, to baptize the children of alumni, to welcome students of the, uh, the children of alumni into our school. I love to follow the graduates and to see what they're doing and to continue to encourage them and challenge them. Let me just tell you about one young man, Abe Matamoros, graduated in 07. He, was, list, he uh, was with his grandfather and saw his grandfather had trouble remembering when to take his medicine. And so he developed a little company to, uh, and a device that helps people remember when to take their medicine. And for that, Forbes magazine listed him in 30 under 30, 30 young people who are making an impact on the world. He went on to play uh, for junior uh, Dynamo. He didn't play for Dynamo, but one level below Dynamo in soccer. But the thing that reminds, that stays with me with Abe was he had the courage to stand up to one of his classmates who was being a bully to somebody else. And that takes a lot of courage. So my first question, why would you want to start a school? Second question, as Tina Turner would put it, what's love got to do with it? Well, of course, love has everything to do with it. But neither would it be true to accept the Beatles' claim that love is all you need. 
All you need is love. As Christians, we believe the world was conceived in love and that to truly perceive the world, to find our place in it, to understand our calling, we must be in a loving relationship with the one who conceived and created it. Love is the essence of our Episcopal identity, beginning with an appreciation of God's love for us. Let's have a look at the passages in our bulletin. If you would, turn to the epistle reading from 1 John chapter 4, and then we'll look at briefly at the gospel. Our passages today are the most wonderful articulations of the love of God and of our love for him. Just kind of going through that right away away, in verse 16, God is love. It's the best definition of God. In verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. In verse 19, we love because he first loved us. I always challenge the students. They know one of our uh, taglines from our mission statement is to be people for others. And I challenge them, why? Why not just be people for myself? Why not just be people for my family? Well, we can't do that because God was for us, so we therefore need to be for others. God loved us, and therefore we must love one another. It goes on in verse 20 to say, those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. And those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Dorothy Day who was an activist in the last century, said, I only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Isn't that a challenge? I only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Turn over to the Gospel reading. In our Gospel reading, we see the love between the Father and the Son and the love of God for us and the invitation to come and to dwell in that love. And the expectation that that love which comes from God will result in love for one another. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. It's an invitation to abide with him. We believe that God came into our midst to be with us, pitched his tent, and now he's inviting us into that very tent to dwell in his love. In verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. What a standard. He goes on in verse 13, No one has greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. I don't expect that I shall ever be asked or uh, required to lay down my life for someone, but am I willing to lay down my lifestyle to any extent at all? Verse 17, I'm giving you these commandments so that you may love one another. These are all very familiar verses. Turn with me now, if you will, to Deuteronomy which is a little less familiar, but I think has some uh, wonderful uh, instructions and challenges. Verse 12, So now, O Israel, what does the Lord require of you? Only to fear the Lord your God. Wait a second. Isn't that a contradiction of what we just read in John? Perfect love casts out fear. And you notice Deuteronomy begins with the instruction to fear God and it ends with the instruction to fear God. It brackets what is said in the middle. Well, it's about perspective. For John, love gives us the courage so as not to fear anything we need not fear. And for Moses, 
Love gives us the wisdom to fear God. If God is our center, the operating principle, then we need not fear anything else. So we need to be in that respectful, trusting, obedient relationship with God, which I think he refers to as the fear of the Lord. He goes on to say, to walk in all his ways. And then now we see all these references to love in Deuteronomy. To love him. To love him who set his heart in love on your ancestors, in verse 15. To love him who loved you. And then in verse 13, we get this wonderful phrase, for your own well-being. It's not so that he can relish in your love. It's because he wants us to flourish in our life. And he knows what's best for us and has given us guidance and operating instructions. His desire is that we flourish. And then in verse 15, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your ancestors. So, and then this picture of God who's the Lord of lords, the Lord over everything in the heaven of heavens and the earth. Who does he love? Only the selected chosen few? No, he even loves the orphan and widow. Look at verse 18. And who loves the stranger? In verse 19, you also then shall love the stranger. The expectation is if we receive the love of God, we must pass it on. Not just to the people that look like us or are comfortable with us, but to everybody. Orphans, widows, and strangers. And so when we come to the idea of the school and what does love have to do with it, we have a sense of urgency and importance in what we teach our kids. How do we know? What does it mean to know something. Well, of course, we, it's much more than book knowledge. It's an awareness and a realization and an experience, and it's important. The consequences, the stakes are high. The first time the word no comes up in the Bible, as you probably know, is when Adam and Eve gave in to the temptation of the evil one. Their eyes were opened. What did they know? They knew they were naked and were shamed. That is the consequence of knowing the wrong things, of giving in to the tempter. So it's an experience deep in our soul. We've all had that. I have had it. But also then the next instance of the word to know is when Adam knew Eve and she conceived. That knowledge is an intimate relationship. It makes the way for intimacy and for salvation. So education, a Christian education, then must be about relationship and experience. Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, on this Episcopal School Sunday, let me wrap up by saying thank you. Thanks to those who had the vision and were prepared to put it into action in a much different world. Thanks to Father Bates, who gives leadership to our whole community invests himself in the running of the school in such a supportive way. When I came here 18 years ago, people referred to the school. The school did that. Why did the school do that? And now people talk about our school. It's a really important distinction. Thanks to the present leadership of our school, especially in the midst of these crazy times. Thanks to Steve Lovejoy and Amy Whitley and the board and the supporters. Thanks to those who labor unseen in various divisions and departments, working hard so that teachers can go on teaching. We give thanks to the teachers and coaches 
who love on our kids every day, whether they're in the classroom or still at home, for the students who come through the doors and remind us why we're here, the wonderful students, and for parents, and especially for parents who are also trying to be teachers. It's really hard. We can support them by continuing to be lifelong learners, to be curious, and to be continuing to develop our capacity to wonder at God's world, to think and to question, to find new ways to show his love, to invent and create and imagine and dream, to sing and dance, to build bridges in this world. In these dark days, there is such a great opportunity for the church and its schools to bring light and faith and hope and love to this world. May ours be a faith that holds on, a hope that stands firm, a love that never gives up, a joy that shines in the darkness, that transcends and transforms the darkness into light. As Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that your joy, my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.